Thanks for taking the time out to talk to us today. I really appreciate that. Of course, man. I'm I'm excited. It's uh, I've been looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. It's nice to actually get to see your face and talk to you because I feel like we've talked a lot on on the internet over chat. So it's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see lips moving. <laughs> it's nice to yeah, nice to put like a profile picture with an actually moving image. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into it, man. Um, cool, cool. I always like to start off things by asking, what is your first musical memory? Oh God. Um, I know you have a lot of them. Yeah. The one that first popped up. um, So my dad is a musician and my dad's a a reggae musician. So I've got the Jamaica flag behind me. Got the scratch Perry photo right there, you know, very influenced by that stuff. But um, one of my first like musical memories, I remember uh, it's kind of the first concert, maybe the first concert that, well, not the first concert I went to, but the first concert that I think I really wanted to go to, um, it was Shaggy and Maxi Priest yes. and uh, Shaba Ranks was supposed to be there, but was having uh, visa issues. So he never showed up, but it was like 1996, I think when um, Shaggy and Sha- and, um, and Maxi Priest did a cover of That Girl. Nice. Yeah. So um, my dad always was telling this story, but um, we were at this venue in Massachusetts in uh down like in the cape in cape cod area called uh the melody tent and um my dad told me that i was like you know kept like sneaking away i was like six or seven years old i kept like (laughs) sneaking further and further away from him there was like some 12 or like 13 year old girls that i kind of like gravitated towards (laughs) and like yeah pretended i didn't know my dad (laughs) um that's one of the earliest memories um of like of myself that i have um that's, I mean, you grew up in like, you grew up in a super musical family. So I feel like not only did that have like a huge influence on you, but I feel like you maybe started it um, like a little bit further down the line than most people do. Um, how do you feel like you kind of got a leg up um, in the industry by growing up with music surrounding you so much? Yeah. So um, that's a great question. Um, I think that it de- like, in in any sort of sense it was definitely like a little bit of the industry know-how um right. and that sort of thing so um another one of my earlier music memories i must have been like 12 years old and uh my dad was on tour uh, you're i don't know exactly where but i remember he called me and he's like hey like i need you to fax this thing over to our agent fax this is like what 2000 or something right <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, I need you to fax this document over to our agent. Um, And this is actually a really cool story. I mean, we could talk about this later too, but it kind of connects something that happened much later in my life where um, the agent was this guy named Val Wolf, who at the time was with the agency group. Um, And he was my dad's agent. He's he's one of the biggest reggae agents in in music business. Yeah. Um, But he was uh, Lee Scratch Perry's agent. And so I worked with Lee a couple of times. The first time was in 2012. Wow. But so it was really funny because like when I reached out to Val to, to kind of put everything in motion with that project, it was kind of like, hey, man, I haven't talked to you in like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really funny. Um, so I think it was like a lot of that kind of stuff. I just, I knew how to talk to people. Um, I knew... You know, my dad, um, so he's the keyboard player of the Scatolites, but he's also uh, served as the manager for a while. 
Oh. And, you know, and so, yeah, so I really, um, you know, I kind of saw him, he was the one who was working with his agent and, you know, routing tours and, and just, um, you know, setting up shows. So I think that was my biggest advantage. And, um, you know, I played in bands before I was a DJ right. and it was just really always easy for me to reach out to people and, and, and ask for an opportunity. You know, I think that's like, uh, one of the biggest things that, that I see with people is like they sit back and wait for things to come to them. Yeah. Um, but I've just always been uh, like a go-getter in that sort of sense. And I've never really been like intimidated to talk to people. Well, I mean, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't shoot, man. And I've always found that it almost, it never hurts to reach out. And a lot of the time people are ready and willing to help you if they can. A hundred percent, dude, a hundred percent. And I think like a lot of people, you know, especially now, like in the COVID era and stuff, you know, we're all sitting around and like, we want interaction. We want to talk to people. And it's like, yeah. what's so great what about what's been going on? You know, you see so much more knowledge being shared and so much more information out there. Um, and it's, and it's great. And, uh, I, I hope it keeps happening. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so I know you have like this huge background in reggae, but yeah. how'd you fall in love with dance music? Um, that's a good question too. Um, really it was, uh, it was when I went to college, mm. um, it was kind of like two different things happening at once. It was really three different things kind of happening at once. But so, you know, I learned to DJ just to use the equipment, turntables right. and stuff, because uh, when I was like 18, I um, used to, you know, need to sneak into the, the bars and clubs in Boston that my friends were hanging out with, at, 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 hanging out at, because a lot of the friends that I was hanging out with were my sister's friends. My sister's uh, like three and a half years older than me. Yeah. So I was like 18 years old. And uh, Tuesday nights in the summer, we used to go to... Uh, this place in Alston called I'm from Boston yeah and uh we, we in Alston Brighton called uh the draft and it's still there and uh my friend would spin um 45s usually on um on Tuesday nights and so I they would sneak me in by giving me his turntables or his records and I would just carry him in and I kind of just like sit there and watch him and I ended up just like not hanging out with anyone and um you know, would watch it, like watch him how to use the turntables. Yeah. And then I would, I would go to guitar center and spend like hours at guitar center and mess around with the equipment and stuff. Um, and so at the same, this is kind of like, as I'm moving out of Boston and going to college, Yeah. you know, I had a PA system. So I, um, because I was playing in bands and I was trying to do that when I first got to college, I went to Syracuse and, um, you know, I was trying to do band stuff, but, uh, I just noticed you know, I would be playing music a lot and people liked that I had this big sound system. Yeah. So I started bringing it literally just outside of my dorm and playing music on the quad for people. And, uh, you know, I was in, like, at this time I was into band, I was getting into bands like MGMT, Flaming Lips, yeah. Passion Pit. Um, dancey, dance rock. Tennis yeah, rock. exactly. That like indie dance, sort of new disco type stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, my sister my sis I've always been influenced by my sister's taste she was into a little more like industrial side of things like uh she really liked corn I know they're not dance but like Marilyn Manson and then Prodigy and Chemical right. Brothers and I knew about Daft Punk like growing up from her um but it wasn't until uh when Justice put out Genesis yeah or sorry Cross Cross um yeah Cross sorry that I was like whoa like what is this 
And um, really, I think what, so like that, I was super influenced by that. And then I was like, oh, this DJ thing's cool. I started to find more electronic music. But um, one of my good friends in Syracuse was a fashion designer. And he was doing a fashion show like his um, freshman or senior, or freshman or sophomore year and asked me to craft the music for it. And I, it was super heavily influenced by Justice. Um, but also like asked me to do a cover of Lady Gaga. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, that's, that's, that was like the moment where I was like, yo, like this is like, I can make this music. Like, yeah. you know, I was DJing it for fun at parties and stuff, right. but it really wasn't until that, um, that fashion show that I was like, okay, this is something like that I can do. And then I started playing at more like clubs in Syracuse and, and uh, you know, really trying to market myself as a DJ and, and separated myself from the bands that I was playing in. That's such a cool story. And mm-hmm. I love that like Bloghouse was like an entry point for you. Cause I feel like, like that kind of short period before EDM became a thing was like really important to dance music um, oh. because it, at least in the United States, it really gave a lot of people that were on the other side of the fence from dance music, like a way to get into it because it like confused like hip hop and rock and all these things together under a dance on top of a dance beat. So it's just like, it's always been interesting to me to hear people's stories about like getting in in that era because it was so pivotal to like the U S dance music scene. A hundred percent. You know, I like the, like hip hop had the golden era of hip hop in the nineties. I think that was like, you know, that 2007 to like 2012, 12 maybe 13 like kind of era was really like our golden era of dance music like some of the best stuff was coming out then and like as you said there was just so many different kind of things converging together you know like Steve Aoki you know obviously we kind of consider him a little bit more EDM now but you know what he was doing with like the bloody beat roots and and block party and that kind of stuff was like so cool and I mean and I was so heavily influenced by Diplo too like yeah the stuff that he was doing with like the Hollertronics mixtapes and stuff and like I would go down to Philly a lot and go to like the Mad Decent Fuck parties when they were doing those um yeah and it was just a lot of uh really you know and obviously like I really loved MIA because that kind of touched a little bit more on the sort of like your roots like the world music that I was into and stuff you know like it was just a lot of great things coming together at the right time. So much rule breaking too. I feel like, oh yeah, like these days, like things are real formulaic, and that's cool. Like you know, everybody like can knows exactly what to expect. But back then, there was a lot of rule breaking. It reminds me of like the early days of dance music too. Like, like that's what people <laughs> were doing when they first created house music and techno and all these other genres. They were just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just gonna throw <laughs> some shit at the wall and see if it works. And that's how we got here today. But anyways, yeah. I digress. <laughs> I 100%. I totally agree with you. Um, so like having said that, like you have like this world influence. How do you feel like that creeps its way into your music? Because your music's real diverse too. I mean, like you could call yourself a house producer, but even mm-hmm. in that lane, you're, and I say this with the utmost respect, you're like all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah. I, mean, I like that. That's great. But I like, how, how is that like leached into like the way that you produce? Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, I think what it really is, is just being like authentic and, mm. you know, that's, uh, so I forget when it was exactly, but a couple of years ago, um, I want to say probably about like seven or eight years ago, um, you know, I, well, what year is it? 2012, yeah, almost 10 years ago. Wow. 
um, I was doing a project called Chemicals of Creation, and yeah. we were doing a lot more like electro, really trying to be like Diplo. And, um, you know, like Mad Decent was our goal. Like we wanted to get on Mad Decent. And, and then when Trap became popular, we were doing Trap. And when Moombatone was popular, we were doing Moombatone. And, um, you know, it was really like Moombatone was the thing that spoke the most to me. And it was also mm. what we had the most success with. But then once like EDM became a thing, like, you know, electro, electro house, I don't even want to call it electro house, like big room, you know, yeah. like that sort of stuff. Once that became really popular, that's when I, and even like the festival trap stuff, when it became like really noisy, really hype, I yeah. started to be like, I don't know about this. <laughs> um, and it was actually around this time too, that I started working with Felix the house cat. Mm. and Felix really influenced me to just like be myself and be original but I I had this epiphany when I was trying to make some music in New York and I was like there's a big difference between like the music I want to make and the music I'm supposed to make mm. you know because like I do have this unique you know everyone does but I I, I you know obviously see myself as having this unique story unique influences it's like okay well no one can tell my story you know so why am I not trying to do that um and that's you know really why I think my music is as diverse as it is even though yeah you're right like I definitely consider myself a house DJ um but you know I'm also like very like the music I make I think is also like kind of pop influence too you know because like I listen to the radio a lot as a right. kid you know I grew up with MTV and that sort of stuff I was like you know, definitely a hip hop kid. And I would like pop punk and that sort of stuff. And I used to play in those kind of bands. So, um, yeah, man, it's just, I, it, it's, it's just, I don't try to limit myself. I don't sit down. Sometimes I will sit down. I'll have a reference and be like, I want to make a record like this. Right. But it's still, you know, putting your voice to it because at the end of the day, you know, we're storytellers Yeah. and you know, you want to tell your story. I don't want to tell someone else's story. So that's, I think, why I'm all over the place. I love that, though. I love that. I love that, like, your authenticity is just as important as, like, as you, your output, like, you know, mm. as, as, like, yeah. you know, that's, that says a lot about, about you as an artist. Um, Thank you. you. Thank you. You. you mentioned Felix. Um, mm -hmm. And you have an album where there were eight of the 11 songs where you got, you got song credits for how did you end up like hooking up with him and like becoming such a pivotal part of that album? So this is a great story. Um, so uh, I was, when I first graduated from college, I got a job working at Dubspot in New York, Yeah. Um, which was a music production and DJ school geared towards electronic music. Right. And um, at that time, I, my, my, um, my DJ project, Chemicals of Creation, we were using, you know, I mean, everyone at this time was either using Serato or turntables. I mean, Serato or Tractor, rather. Right. Sorry. Um, with turntables. And, you know, CDJs, it was still in the era of like the CDJ 1000. They really weren't that great. Right. I mean, they were great. They were fine, whatever. But obviously, you could you just could do more. so much. Yeah, more on the computer. So I learned Tractor when I first started using a computer. And, um, and my partner was a Serato DJ. So we went back and forth using both. Yeah. Uh, and then when I get to New York, I realize I'm one of six people like in the entire city that even knows what Tractor is. 
<laughs> you know, Tractor was not popular at this time. Native Instruments was not a big company. Their biggest thing was like Machina at the time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, yeah, and um, so this is like 2011. Like really well, yeah. So 2012 is when I met Felix. I met Felix October of 2012. Right. Um, and so I was teaching um, DJ classes, uh, and I was teaching the D- the tractor part of these DJ classes. And one of these guys that I was teaching with, his name is Mike Henderson. He goes by Endo. Um, oh, I know. He Endo. Is, yeah. 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 So everyone knows Endo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's um, you know really really uh, smart guy and really pro expert one of the top experts probably in the world when it comes to tractors yeah um and he was doing a lot of artist trainings um because you know people started switching over from serato to tractor because you know we came out like the x1 at that time and you could scroll through stuff and hit your few points right. um and you know it was synced obviously it was like the biggest kind of thing <laughs> and um so endo did a training with felix felix is like okay i want to i want to do this he actually saw Luciano playing and Ibiza and Luciano's like drinking champagne. He's got four decks on. He's talking to this model over here. He's like, <laughs> man, how you got four decks going and you're sipping champagne and talk to this model. And he's that's like, that sink, man. man. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> but so, okay. So um, I'm very long winded. <laughs> it's all good, man. I love this. I love to hear the stories. Um, but so, uh, so yeah. So um, Felix was like, Hey, Endo, like, do you want to go on tour with me and be my like you know my tractor tech and endo was working with um like sasha and digweed carl cox pete tong nicole madaber and uh he was like hey you know i'm like i'm a little too busy but i know this kid devin that uh could probably help you out and so felix had a show um in was that like the hilton or something on it was around uh um Halloween. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was this Halloween show. And, uh, so, you know, I get linked up with Felix's management and, you know, I'm talking to Felix over the, the computer and stuff. But so, um, uh, Felix calls me like that day or something, you know, that he's supposed to play. And he's like, what's up, Devin Dazzle? What's up, Dazzler? <laughs> <laughs> So for, you know, as I'm sure you know, Felix has a record, an album called um, Devin Dazzle and the Neon Fever. Yeah. So I think basically, you know, Felix thinks I'm like Devin Dazzle incarnate that was like delivered to his doorstep at his hotel, you know? <laughs> uh, so I think I just had an advantage, honestly, like Felix Kate, like, like, like took a liking to me very quickly yeah but also also at that gig it was really funny because like he he put me to he tested me hardcore like uh there was a dj playing before there's like 15 girls in the booth and he's like go get everyone out of the booth right now and i'm like okay like the dj's still playing you know like there's about five or ten minutes and i was like hey guys like i need you guys to all clear out i'm gonna start setting up the next dj Luckily, everyone except for one person did it. But so I start setting up DJ um, Felix's DJ stuff, and then uh, I go to like this other person, to the one woman who's still stuck around. I was like, "Hey, I'm sorry, but like I really need you to get out of here. The DJ doesn't want anyone, anyone in the booth before he plays, and he's about to like come in here." And uh, the DJ that's playing like grabs me by the neck. He's like, "This is my wife." 
you don't tell her what to do, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I'm a 22-year-old kid, and this, like, legendary producer is telling me what to do. I'm going to listen. you got to listen. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that was all cool. Got everyone out of the booth, starts playing. And, uh, you know, it's this big, like, hotel, bottles and models type gig. Yeah. And there's all these lights, and Felix calls them swirly-whirlies. Um, you know, all the, all the robot lights and stuff. And he's like, man, you tell that light man to make it dark in here. He's like, you tell him I like it black and strobes. And so I'm like, I see the light guy and, but it's literally like a balcony separating us and there's no door or anything. So I crawl over the balcony Shit. And, and I like, I'm like, cut the light, cut the light. <laughs> and, and so, you know, Felix sees all this. And the biggest thing too, is that, so before the gig, Felix, the reason why Felix called me is because he wanted me to make sure I got the right mezcal for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> he drinks like a very, he was drinking a very specific brand. It was uh, Del Maguey Monero mezcal. And I had to go to like seven different liquor stores to find it. And he's like, man, you found it. You found it. That was like the first thing I did right. Um, and then it kind of just fell in line after that. And then, um, you know, after this gig, he's like, Hey man, like, do you want to do next weekend with me in Miami? And then they were like, Hey, do you want to do next weekend with me in India? And, and then oh. it was like, Hey, like, do you want to, like, do you make music? You know, we start hanging out. Yeah. He's like, do you make music? Like, you know how to use Ableton? And he's like, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, like, I'm going to start, uh, like i'm gonna want you to come to come to my house like come hang out show me more tractor stuff like um you know do this and that and i was like all right dude like i got you and then um you know i just started going out i was like his regular guy and we started yeah. going out and it was really funny because the whole the way the album came about was we did this last minute party in cleveland ohio and it was a grad party for um for someone like this person's girlfriend and uh we get to the gig and they like bought it was right right around the time that the djm 900 came out yeah and you can um plug right into that to use reactors right. you don't need the sound card so um you know a lot of clubs didn't have it yet and this um this little small group of people went out and bought felix a mixer and then gave it to him wow <laughs> yeah and there was like so when I tell you there was like nine people at the party, I'm not exaggerating to you. There was nine people. I'm pretty sure in this, like, you know, it's still a small room. Maybe it fits like two or 300 people, but, uh, but yeah, so we ended up like hanging out at these people hotel afterwards and we come to find out that they own a record label and um, you know, the record label is based in Brooklyn and they have, you know, all the money in the world to yeah. um, do whatever they want. And they start, Felix starts talking about him, about how he wants to do a new album <laughs> and all this stuff. And, um, you know, we ended up, I didn't stay as long in the hotel room as Felix did. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but we ended up leaving. We, when we left that, uh, when we left that gig, basically Felix, uh, you know, had a new record deal almost. <laughs> and, uh, and he was, you know, building his team and asked me to be involved with the team of people that was working on the, the album. So we moved in together in New York, which was actually this like four story, amazing apartment in uh, an old monastery on 16th street. It was actually Ashley Simpson's old apartment. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it was really cool. And um, we spent a couple months there um, actually working on the record. It was me, Sky Maurice, Sky Travis. Um, and that's where Lee Scratch Perry actually came into our basement and was like, uh, you know, did, did vocals for four hours with us. And it was one of the most magical experiences of my life, probably. Um, and yeah, and we ended up um, working on that album for two more years. Uh, I went to Ibiza the two following summers with Felix lived in Ibiza with him and uh you know he was doing a residency at space but we would be in the studio all week um and it was really cool it was really um an awesome experience for me because I was only like 24 you know like 22 to 24 at the time yeah uh, of us doing it and um yeah we just you know it was a lot of people kind of came and get and, and went throughout um the process but I was Felix's like engineer you know I was um you know I was his left hand a right-hand man rather um and uh yeah it was just a really great experience that's you tell this story and it's like like you followed in your father's footsteps but <laughs> but in a different genre um yeah. and like also now this the the song that you just made with felix makes complete sense um yeah <laughs> like that's like a, yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i'm like oh all every reference in that song makes sense now <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the song, yeah, it's called Dazzler, and uh, that's what he calls me. He, you know, he'll call me, and all those, so all those, the lyrics from that um, came from voice messages that he's left me on WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I was, you know, I've been, I, I actually like was toying with the idea of creating an alias called Dazzler. Yeah. Um, because uh, you know, I have a bunch of new music that I've, I'm putting out soon, and. It is very different than stuff I put out before, but I was like, oh, do I want to do an alias? And I like found all these these voice notes because I was switching phones, and I was like, God, these are so good. And uh, and yeah, it was like just around the time that I was um, going out to work with Ghetto Blaster and stuff. Yeah. Um, because I was going out to stay with them for a couple of days, and uh, and work on music. And uh, you, because we already had a couple of tracks that we had done, but I was like, "Hey, I got these vocals. Like, I think we could do something with them." And uh, and yeah, and then the kind of kind of the rest is history. That's so cool. Um, <laughs> I just loved hearing that whole story. That's so awesome. Like, like especially like like just by chance meeting somebody who's so deeply entrenched with dance music to be brought into it that way is like pretty remarkable. Um, oh yeah, man, it was crazy. It was really crazy. <laughs> And I want to like, I want to get one more story from you because it's just like another incredible moment, I feel like. But you did yeah. a back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back with Scream and Dennis Ferrer. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you were the opener for that show, but how, how, how do you end up going back-to-back -back with like two legends of dance music for three hours? So this, um, man, I feel like it happened so fast. I feel like, like, okay, so, um, Dennis and Scream decided to do an EP together called Local Hero. Yeah. And they put it out. And then um, I, I don't know if it, like they had the idea before or what, but they did um, a show in like Scream's hometown. And it was on Boiler Room, actually. And they picked a guy that was like, you know, the local hero of his hometown. You know, right. who was like, you know, who is the guy that kind of like needed that next step forward. Um, and so they go to do a show in New York and it must've been literally the day before the show happened. Um, Dennis Ferrer went on Twitter and was like, what's up, New York? Like, 
who should we pick to play with us? Like, who's the local hero? And I like, my phone is blowing up. You know, I didn't see that at the time. I put my phone's blowing up. I got tagged by like 30 different people. And um, he ended up uh, DMing me. And was like, hey, man, what's up? Like, I want you to play with us at the show. It seems like people really support you in New York. I was like, cool, awesome. But if, even funny story is that like, so I don't, I forget what year this was, but it was either like the summer before, the, right, the summer right before yeah. I met Dennis in Ibiza with Felix. And so I go, to I go to text him on my WhatsApp and we already had like a little bit of a conversation. I was like, hey man, I was like, I guess we've already talked before, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and yeah, they, um, man, I don't remember if, if it was scheduled for me to like play with them or if they just ended up asking me to do it. But that was so crazy because like uh, Scream had just, I think one of the reasons why I got to play for so long too is like Scream had just had some back, back problems. I, I know he had canceled some shows and stuff. Maybe it was before, right before after his surgery. Yeah. I think he had like a slip disc or something. Um, and yeah, man, it was just, it was so, it was crazy. He was like, he would lay on the DJ booth and like be like holding his hands up, like mix, still mixing or like selecting tracks, but then would like go lay down or like go into the green room and he'd like <laughs> take a break. And, you know, I was just there partying and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, we just, we played for three hours together. And it was um, just such a wild experience. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and I actually went on to talk to the Scream, too, actually. I mean, both of them I've been talking about, like, you know, putting music out on their labels. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like all those things kind of kind of lead to another. Such great stories, man. Such great stories. I love it. Um, Thank you. I want to talk about Radioactive because um, yeah. I know like one of the one of the goals of Radioactive is kind of to find a balance between activism and and music, and um, it's something that gets missed in dance music often because dance music is, I feel like, inherently activism by itself. Um, mm -hmm. that's where it came from but can you talk about like just kind of like the mission of radioactive and like what you're doing there and like what how do you strike that balance between like social responsibility and music yeah absolutely um so we started radioactive in 2012 and you know it really started as like a support group for our friends that were living and working together and um you know it was people of different like um multidisciplinary backgrounds within art and so, you know, we had some musicians and producers, we had some uh, graphic designers, we had some filmmakers and, um, and yeah, so we just like, we wanted to put on people that no one really knew and thought were do was dope. Um, and we, we, everything we did, it was like, it was like, so it's kind of like covert activism, you know, it's like, we're not yeah. in our face, in people's face constantly being like, donate to this, donate to that, do this, do that. It's just like, you know, I think the, the biggest way to, you know, kind of prove something or to, to do something is to just do it, you know? So we would focus on artists that, um, you know, minority artists or like just people that didn't have as much of a shot or just, you know, people who weren't in the spotlight. We were trying right. to find, you know, dope artists that just deserved a shot. But then, you know, one of the biggest things that we did was this thing called the Tunnel Project where we went and interviewed um, different musicians that we saw in the subway stations. You know, oh, wow. everyone always sees these people and 
And, you know, some people, some people who are musicians, I think kind of pay them more mind, but, you know, a lot of people kind of just zoom past them and, you know, they might enjoy it for a second while they're standing on the subway, like on the, on the, um, uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The subway platform. Um, but we started to talk to these people and, um, you know, we just started to tell their stories. Um, and we were doing these little, like, you know, three to five minute videos that kind of just spotlighted them, um, spotlighted their stories and how they came to be, you know, subway musicians. And, um, you know, that was really, really great. And, um, yeah, I think since then, um, we kind of just, yeah, we're just trying to um, push diverse artists forward. Um, we're trying to, you know, use our voice in a positive way to bring light to certain things. Um, but like I said, just a little bit like in a sort of covert way. We're not trying to like be in our in people's face with like donate, raise money, raise do this. It's like it's a lot about raising awareness, but also right. just like putting these things that we talk about into action. I love that. I love that. It's um. It sounds like your your past in reggae, um, that's just another way that it seeps through is mm. um, because I feel like that culture is very, very socially fo- socially focused. Um, yeah. So it's nice to see that somebody is like thinking about these things in a way that's that's not like straight up in your face. But, you know, it's it's OK to be subtle with these things because people don't even realize that they're that they're playing part in something that could be really important. Um, And then I want to talk about your film degree, which is, which is interesting to me that you have a degree in film. I mean, it's still, it's still creative, um, but it's not music. How do you feel like your, your degree in film helps inform your music? Cool. Um, Okay. Well, so I should say that my degree within film is definitely still, so I was concentrated on like sound design and audio production within the film area. So I was doing a lot of sound mixing and stuff like that. But um, I think that like, you know, I am always in in terms of music stuff, it's like, I'm always trying to add a visual element to my music and stuff too. So I'm always, you know, putting out videos or, or like, you know, just kind of things that are, um, uh you know to accompany the music but like i said earlier it's like we're storytellers at the end of the day you know musicians and filmmakers so it's like you know um a lot of actually the music that i'm making right now i'm i'm working on an album maybe i don't know i've been saying this for like a year um (laughs) i have like a whole collection of music that i'm like it's a it's like a cohesive body of work and i actually like i have this very visual sort of like concept for it you know, because I definitely am a more visual person. I think visually, I sort of like remember things visually. Right. Um, and I think that's probably like where I'm most influenced by like the film stuff. Um, but I mean, that's even funny too, because like I first went to school for acting. Um, really? I used, yeah, I went, to, I used to do acting and musical theater when I was a kid. And um, I'm not the best singer but uh i did a lot of musical theater in school yeah. so when i went to college i applied to acting not not musical theater but acting straight acting right. and um and you know i loved i some of my best friends that i made were film majors and i was acting in their films oh, wow. um and yeah after my freshman year i was like because i was also playing in bands and i mean the acting acting things very um tight-knit community also very demanding of a lot yeah. of 
rehearsals and things like that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to give up all of my time like that, but I'm really interested in the way that it all gets put together. You know, I, and, and like editing too, you know, editing is very similar, like at least the, you know, the kind of way we tell a story within editing is very similar to editing within music. You know, you have your clips and your scenes, you have automation and, you know, you need one thing to carry into the other. Um, You know, so it's like, I think, I think my kind of idea when I was in school was like, you know, the more kind of things I know and learn that I don't already know will just inform me more as a person and, and make me more well-equipped to do anything, whether it's acting, music, film, you know, I just have more experience with life and these tools to be able to, um, to, um, God, communicate those ideas. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's so funny. You mentioned like musical theater. That's something that I was involved in too. And I was in. Oh, no way. <laughs> and you're like one of maybe four other, like three other people that I know of that I've spoken to in dance music yep. that also yep. have that background. So I feel like it's, it's rare in our, in our community, but it, I always like immediately, like if someone says that, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Cause somebody else gets, gets me. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, so we're about, we're almost out of time, but the last question I always like to ask is what excites you about the future of dance music? Who, um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is like a lot of um, a lot of like cross pollination. I don't mm. know if that's the right word, you know, no, but like right. you're seeing a lot of different artists that like I, I, you see a lot of bass artists right now that are going into doing house stuff. And then, you know, you have like, you know, someone like Scream who's been doing house going back to his dubstep stuff. And like yeah. those fans, those fans are sticking with him. Um, and I think that there's, like just this openness a lot more um right i mean i think there is you know there's definitely obviously things that are very clicky and 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 people are kind of you know i like this and i like that i'm so much cooler to like this that sort of thing but right. i think i think we're moving away from that and i think that you know i think that like dance music is becoming popular music of our generation yeah you know so i think that um you know, a lot of like I work with. Please, no one who watches take offense, but I lot work with some older people in the scene, yeah. and they, you know, they talk about like when you actually made money and and dance music and stuff like that. And I I think like there's going to be more opportunities with that sort of stuff. You know, more yeah. um more 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 producers that are working with much bigger artists and and more like major label artists. Like I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mike Q. Yeah. um yeah, so I do, he, yeah he's a friend of well mine. he just oh no way yeah that's amazing mike's mike's an amazing guy but he just is enlisted to do the um to do some production on kanye's album really? and like even oh yeah he he's been tweeting about it um because he couldn't talk about it obviously but now that it's out he's been talking about it and then even before that kanye some of kanye's produ- um producers were God, one of the guys I'm not gonna remember, but Jerome LOL. Do you remember the LOL? Boys? Yeah, I do. Really? Yeah. So Jerome was... LOL, when he left LOL Boys, he teamed. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, Body Body High, I think was their group name. Yeah, I remember that it, name. It, 
Yeah, it was like a ball, a ball dude and then Jerome LOL. And they were making like really forward thinking dance music and stuff that was like very like Chicago, like classic house, you know? And right. Kanye's from Chicago and like yeah, that sort he's, of shit. He's super into that stuff. Right. Like, you know, he was playing Cashmere at Coachella two years ago, you know? Right. It's like, you know, I think that the more, I think we're we're seeing a lot more of that stuff, you know, pop music producers, like, you know, someone like Sophie Tucker is working with John Summit. Right. And like, you know, I just, I think that that is the direction. I think that popular music is becoming, like dance music is becoming popular music. And I just, I, I hope that it keeps expanding like that. I hope it definitely includes a little bit more um, diversity and like world inclusion and, and that sort of stuff. I hope it doesn't, you know, become sort of whitewashed and yeah. taken over by the major labels. Um, but I, I like where those trends are going right now. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with that. I mean, it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's been maybe, what, 35 years of dance music history, and somehow the rest of the world caught on to this thing long before right. the United States did. But right. <laughs> maybe maybe all that time that it took, um, it was it's kind of been worth the wait because it's nice to see some of our some some of our our peers like getting recognition in billboard charts and you know not just the dance billboard charts but on like the main hot singles charts you know the top 100 we're seeing dance music artists break into that top 100 again and it's really it's pretty amazing to see like you know even underground dance music really having its time in the sun in the mainstream and i feel like people in the united states like when i first started going to parties in like the late 90s early 2000s I kept saying, I was like, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world one day. And I can't wait for that. And I think everybody right. in dance music was kind of like, everybody else needs to appreciate this as much as we do. It doesn't always have to be underground. I mean, what does that even mean anymore? Nothing's underground because yeah. it's all streaming. <laughs> <laughs> we like to think so. It's so funny. It's like, you know, people are like, I'm so underground. And it's like, well, like you have the have... number one record on Beatport, dude. Like you are not, not underground. underground. <laughs> if you are the number one record on Beatport, that means you've, you've sold thousands of copies right. of that song if right, you're right. i mean like i see people underground techno artists underground techno artists and you look at their spotify and like right. their top streaming song has like 500 million streams and i'm like hey, oh, yeah dude, that's that's right. half a billion streams on one song you're not underground right well it's like i work with nicole madaver too you know i was tour right. managing her for a while and like is she underground she's one no. of the you know like she makes like huge dark techno but she's one of the biggest artists in the world you know i mean in that sense but it's like i think we're beyond we're beyond it i mean we say underground because we think of dance music as like this really small close-knit community which it is like it is yeah the industry part of it is really a small group of people like you're always no more than like two or three steps away from anybody in the scene but like in the whole world there's millions of people that are into this like Hundreds of millions yeah. of people in the world are yeah. into this thing that we're doing. So yep. we like to keep that whole idea like, oh, yeah, we're we're still the underground group because we're the less popular of all the popular uh, things. But, right, right. you know, it's it's OK for us to be it's OK for th- us to be mainstream now. I, I invite I, it. I, I agree. Will, I yeah. agree. We all need to pay our bills. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, well, I mean, if you're if you're getting paid to do this, you're lucky. So, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's. It's okay to it's okay to say we're mainstream now, right? <laughs> well, 
thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me today. I really, really appreciate this. You told some truly amazing stories that, and you know, that I never even thought of, like <laughs> made some connections I never would have even made. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm so glad you reached out. And like I said, I was really excited and this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. And we'll definitely be in touch and let you know what's going on with everything. And cool. tell Megan I said what's up. Um, I will. All right. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Bye. Sam. Bye.